Memphis, 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 Nothing but Memphis. Everywhere we go, it's Memphis. Memphis, Tennessee, the beautiful land in the world. And I'm thankful for this this guy who tweeted and said I don't have that fire in my eye no more. That game right there was for him. That's what I do. I prove people wrong each and every night, and that's for him right there. Hi, this is Tom Izzo at Michigan State, and you're listening to Grizz 901. What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome back to yet another episode of the Grizz 901 podcast. I am your temporary host, Nathan Qualls. Again, prayers up for our beloved Daniel Greer. Not because he's in trouble, just because he's not here and we continue to take over the podcast week by week. But don't worry, he will be back soon. You don't have too much more of me. But excited to bring you another episode of the Deep Dive series. So we've been going over these players. If you haven't been a part of Grizz901, this is your first show. If you haven't listened, one, welcome to the show. Two, shame on you. Go back and listen. There's some good content in there. But we've been going over player by player. The Grizzlies starting five. We'll get into maybe a six-man candidate later on, but that's down the road. But we've been hitting on these different players, talking about their past impact, their past seasons, what it could look like going into next season, and what their improvements could look like to maximize those capabilities. And so excited to bring you yet another episode of that. And today's episode, possibly on the Grizzlies' most important player, I don't know. You may have heard of him, Ja Morant. And with that, I'm going to bring on the man, the myth, the legend, who is going to be writing the deep dive article coming out later this week on John Morant, Mr. Ian Sparks. Ian, welcome back and welcome to your new apartment, man. You got the blue lights going. You're a whole vibe over there, dude. What's going on? Hey, nothing much. Uh, It's been a grueling past two days getting everything moved in. Uh, Putting up these lights is a lot harder than I imagined. I sweat much more than I would like to admit. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's been good. You know, I'm about to start school back at Ole Miss here tomorrow as we're, the time we're recording this Sunday. Uh, yeah, no, I'm excited to get into my favorite, probably my favorite Grizzlies player of all time. Yeah. So really excited to be back. Yeah. Ian's got the dope blue light in the room behind him. I can't tell if we're about to do a podcast or if we're in an actual studio now. I don't know. Maybe we're about to throw a rave. I got no idea. Either way, nah, Ian's bro. ready. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. There you go. From the man himself, but we are ready to roll and talk about Mr. Ja Morant. So, Ian, there's a lot to talk about Ja, but to be honest, there's not much to say about Ja that his play hasn't said for himself, that every national sports media outlet that covers basketball has not said about Ja Morant's play. I mean, there's there's not much to do. That being said, it warrants taking a step back every once in a while and just admiring what the man has done. And this past season. Obviously, he made the superstar leap. I mean, he went from a guy who you say, okay, this is the future. This is the future. This is the future, too. No, this is the now. This is the superstar of the Memphis Grizzlies to put them on the map to the point they gained, I think, 11 national TV games. Maybe it's 13 national TV games this season. So Christmas Day game, et cetera. And none of that happens without John Morant taking that leap. So just for, I mean, even if you want to talk about stats, awesome. If you want to talk about any of it, Let's just talk about that. Let's talk about what he did. What was your biggest thing with purely the numbers that jumped up this season? I mean, it was amazing, right? Yeah, I know. Amazing is definitely the word you have to say when you're talking about Ja. I mean, I was having 27 points a game. Um, incredible numbers. Making an all-star team for his first time. Definitely not the last time. Um, I mean, everybody knew what he was about in his first couple of years. You know, highlight real plays, you know, flashy assists, stuff like that. Uh, 
but there's so much more that he brings to the team that doesn't show up on the stat line. You know, the culture really, I mean, obviously Memphis has his own culture, but he's instilled a culture in this team, a winning culture that he's brought with him, you know, in every phase of his life, especially his basketball career. Um, there's been so many memories, um, obviously his first three years, but this past season, um, it's my favorite, it's probably my favorite call ever. And unfortunately it's not by Pete or Brevin Knight. It's my namesake. Uh, I think he pronounces Iron Eagle though. The, uh, the jawbreaker one. Oh man, dude, that lifted me off my seat when I heard that again, you know, in, in that series. I mean, obviously I think, he was nominated for uh, Player of the Year, right? If I'm not mistaken, at the ESPYS, mm-hmm. um, we've had good players in Memphis before. We've never had somebody like John Morant. What well, at the professional level? Obviously, Derrick Rose playing college ball at Memphis, and that's who he gets compared to a lot. You know, at the early stages of his career. But I mean, obviously, I love Mike Conley. I love Zebo. I love Marcus All. Nobody, not not one of those three names, is at the level John Morant is now. No, and first, anything that comes out of Ian Eagle's mouth, thing of beauty. The man's just a national treasure. Protect him at all costs. Love him. Second off, you're absolutely right about John Morant. I mean, he he is just an unbelievable talent like Memphis has never seen. But what's really cool about that and what I know you were getting at and what we talked about a little bit before the podcast was that he is that talent but he still carries the city and he still embraces and identifies with the city just like that core four. I mean, that's been the coolest thing to see is you have John Morant come in. He's a different style of player, obviously a different level player, but different style of player as well than anybody from that core four era. But he still has that grit to him. He still has that grind to him. He is still in the trenches. He's still in the mud. He's still got that chip on his shoulder, just like all those other players. And he still invests in the community like those other players. He cares about people. He cares not just what people think of him. He wants to bring the people with him that have been with him since the beginning. They're here supporting him from the get-go. And that's been super, super cool to see. And, you know, and bringing it back to the stats, I mean, the stats are incredible. I mean, he's had highest three-point percentage of his career while he's sitting there shooting (laughs) six more shots in the season before. It was an insane year. But what he's been able to do off the court has been legendary and just something that nobody has been able to do with Memphis before he's had a huge cultural impact but talk a little bit more about that community and or cultural impact because he's obviously had both right yeah I mean I touched on it a little bit in my Desmond Bain article a few weeks back um this new era you know Grizz next gen that's been ushered in the past few years by the new front office and you know new coaching staff and all that Jaron obviously was the year before and we got him at four and we were like okay this guy could be really good and then lottery came the next year and number two found our laps. And I mean, obviously it was a no brainer. I I would like to say that even if we got the one pick somehow, I would still have to say if we, we took John Moran either way, even if that did happen, but luckily John fell right in our lap. Um, I don't like to hate on Zion because I think he's very talented, but as of right now, the best, I mean, the best ability is availability. I mean, unfortunately he's been hurt and out of the game for a little while and John's had the better success so far. Um, but yeah, no, back to that, back to what this, you know, what Grizz Next Gen brings. I mean, with the core four, we saw that gritty, that grit and grind mentality. You know, they would, they would really, you know, dig deep to win games and like, it'd be like 87 to 84, you know, like really like low scoring games. 
now we're putting up 140 points some games. I mean, dude, this is something I never thought I'd see. And, you know, Ja, I mean, obviously the increased three-point percentage is 34% this, you know, this past year. Pulling up from like 30-plus 30, 30 feet sometimes and just draining it. I mean, it's just something – I mean, obviously we've had sharpshooters before and, you know, Mike Miller and, and, and that like, but we've never, I, we've never had a team this flashy. I mean, I don't like to compare generations, but, you know – well, that's fair. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, it's just like it's like a Showtime. It's a Showtime team. You know, that you hear about the Showtime Lakers. I don't want to compare them to that. But I'm just saying, like, they're flashy, and but they still have that that same grit and grind mentality still there. It hadn't left. Yep. It's like it's stuck with the city, you know. And that's what's um, so beautiful, man. Their ability to mix that grit and grind with the greatest show on hardwood. I mean, shout out to. Freaking Brevin Knight, who I stole that phrase from and use it every way I possibly can. But the Memphis Grizzlies are the greatest show on hardwood. I call them that. I call them the last fun team in basketball. I'll call them the Showtime Grizzlies because it's, I mean, it's unbelievable, right? And it's still that gritty, they got that grinded out type of style that got the dog in them. But then you didn't have anybody from grit and grind other than Matt Barnes with like seven seconds left on the clock launching it from half court. That was about the only time a Grizzly was taking those types of shots, right? Now you got. John Morant, Desmond Bain doing it. But, you know, with that, you got the whole cultural, the cultural thing. He's getting Nike ads, got Nike billboards with a Memphis player on them going up around the city. You got Stephen A talking about the one Elvis billboard that's still in the city and then saying that we got to take it down, put John Morant up. It's okay. There's more to the city. I promise you it's all Grizzlies everywhere, Stephen A. It's cool. He saw the one Elvis billboard. But, he has this huge cultural face. He's got all these advertisements, body armor, et cetera. And we've had beloved players before, but no one doing that. And one, it's just fun to see as Grizzlies fans, right? It's a recognition that we're not used to. You can tell sometimes on Grizz Twitter, we don't know how to handle that kind of success yet. We're getting there. We're still a great Twitter community. We still love each other. We're going to be good. But the other side of that cultural impact is what it does for the city. I mean, just a pure economic impact of having a player like that. I'm, I'm sort of looking into this for an article that might be coming out later on down the road, but the cultural impact leads to a true economic impact that can help improve a city. And it's it's cool to see John Morant doing that because there's a lot of stuff coming to Memphis that didn't come here before, right? So, you know, like we said at the beginning, there's nothing we said that isn't common knowledge, right? But every once in a while, it warrants taking a few minutes just to express one gratitude for a player that hasn't that level of ability and has chosen to embrace the city the way he has. It's not a huge market, but he's chosen to embrace that just like he's embraced everyone in his past. So to be grateful for that, but two, just to sit back in awe of what you're witnessing. It is not normal to see someone do that. And we need to remember that it's not normal to see someone do that and continue to appreciate it. But not everyone always appreciates greatness. (laughs) There's a history within this country, especially recent history of building stars up, just to watch them fall. And so, I mean, I just watched the Manti Teo doc. Also, great doc to go watch. If you haven't seen it, it is unbelievable story. And also, one, I know I owe Manti Teo a huge apology. One of the most genuinely good-hearted, kind people I've ever seen on a camera. And I was not kind when I was in high school and all that stuff happened. But anyways, just one example of building people up to watch them fall. And John Morant is one of those players. Everyone loved the guy that was the underdog, smaller guard with the chip on his shoulder until he was getting nominated for all NBA MVP talks and becoming a superstar. And all of a sudden, Jaw can't defend, Jaw can't facilitate. They're all empty stats. You see it left and right. 
I mean, being the second best team in the league sort of means something to me. Um, I know they did well without him, but that's a culture that John Morant establishes and leads. So we can get on that. But we're going to talk about these few of knocks on the job, whether they're fair, whether they're not fair. Um, a lot, a lot of truth to most things. Not always, but there are. But let's talk about the first one, the one that we see the most, which is people wanting to knock on these dudes for barking at all these other players saying they haven't done nothing yet. What's this attitude? What's what's going on? You know, I'm just going to let it go to you because I think we're of equal mind in this. If not, I'll be very disappointed. We'll have a talking to after this. But what are your thoughts on people trying to knock them and their attitude on the court? First of all, I'm 21 years old. These guys are essentially my age, right? If I was getting paid what they're getting paid right now, I don't care who you were. I'm, t- I'm going to talk whatever I want to talk because apparently I'm doing something good. I'm doing something right. I'm getting paid millions and millions and millions of dollars. I mean, there's no reason to be it's, – it's basketball. People talk during basketball. I even think Draymond and Ja are actually somewhat friendly now. So, I mean, yeah, they talked about, you know, they get, you know, Grizzlies and Warriors coming up this Christmas Day, which I'm super excited about. And they're like, yeah, we got what we wanted. I mean, even, I mean, even if there is talk, it's, I mean, it's basketball. It happens. There's no reason to be this uptight about it. I get it. He hadn't, done, he hadn't won a championship yet. He, we will. I will take that. Well, I think this, this is a championship team. But that doesn't mean that you just like, oh, hey, you can't do this. You're not LeBron James, so you can't say anything. That's just that's ludicrous. If I'm making that much money, you can't tell me what to do. I'm a grown adult. I'm making millions. It's ridiculous. It it really is. They are kids, man. They're still kids. Also, those kids that you don't want talking to those grown men like that. Guess what? They whooping those grown men. They are whooping those grown men. I don't care if it's LeBron James or not. If you're giving the work to LeBron James, you get to talk to LeBron James. You beat him by 30 points on their home floor. What are you talking about? getting mad about that kind of stuff. Sorry, Halsey. Sorry, Halsey. We good. I'm going to ride with Desmond Bain over here. But they get you get to say what you want when you're winning. And listen, you got to take your lumps when you're losing. That's the one thing that I think Grizz fans got to get on board with. If you're going to be behind these young guns when they're sitting there and they're dogging these dudes and they talking to these dudes, you got to be one to let those dudes talk to you. All right. Now you can say when something's saying somebody's saying something silly, like Pat Bev tweeting from Cancun about how they weren't giving up points. I'm like, all right, man, well, you're in Cancun and the Warriors won the championship, but there's other things that, man, as somebody, if you're giving it, you got to be able to take it, got to be able to take it. But man, they, they were playing, they're having fun. Part of the attitude, they're kids. That is the one part of this though, that I will say you can warrant a little bit of concern, not hate. No reason to have hate. That's part of the sports is the rivalries. And I, I hate this team. I hate that team. You'll see me talk trash about cat and the Timberwolves and Steve Kerr and the Warriors. As people, I don't know them. I got a feeling there's somebody in the league I may or may not like. But in general, these are – I don't mean anything by them as people. You just hate them and you hate their team. Off the court, they're people. But there is some concern on the court for the Grizzlies being so young. Now, I personally think that these guys are ready to handle it. I bet on these dudes to be able to handle it. I think Ja, Jaron, Dylan, whoever – they're going to be able to leave in that locker room now. That being said, when Tracy McGrady says you need to get some veterans on the team and he's, he's not just being an old head talking trash, I tend to listen to that. So do you have any level of concern for this team heading to this next season 
when you hear someone like Tracy McGrady say, I'm worried these guys might blow it up, especially after you see what happened with like Charlotte this past season. With any other team in the league, maybe not any other team, but with the majority of the league, if I saw this, maybe I would, I would be concerned. I just don't see it happening in Memphis, though. I really don't. I mean, you think they're going to risk blowing up something that could be potentially really special? I mean, they, these guys are friends, man. These, they're more than just teammates. These guys are friends. They love playing with each other. You see in all the post-game interviews, you know, on ESPN or on Bally Sports, you know, with Rob Fisher and everything, they all crash in and they're all together. It's the t- they love being around each other. That's, the, that's probably why they're – well, obviously they're insanely talented basketball players, but the chemistry is – it's unbreakable in my opinion. Yep. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the chemistry. I will say I'm not worried about the chemistry. I think that they are going to be fine this season. I'm not super worried about that part. I think that they have the leadership in the locker room. The one thing is that I remember I'm 28. I'm not that far removed, but I'm far enough removed to remember when I was 23, how much it helped having someone, one of my friends, we're still really close to this day. Jake, if you're listening, shout out, man. He, I went through a little bit of a rough patch and he was just there and he's like, okay, this is how we're going to get through this. And having that older guy to lean on that been through it before, that isn't the buddy, that isn't the the homie that's just sitting there like, hey, man, I guess, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, this sucks. It sucks. And they don't really know how to handle it. Having someone like that to help can be really essential. Now, do they have to have that person on the team? I don't know. Maybe they call it Jay Crowder, right? Maybe they have something like that. But that presence is something that helps when you're 23 years old. Now you're begging me to throw it back to you. So what do you got? I think we're I think we just clicked without clicking there. Yeah. So you said it didn't have to be somebody in the team. Zach Reynolds back. I mean, Zach Reynolds is there. I mean, obviously it's they're kind of different, you know, in how they played, you know, what era they're in and so on, you know, so far and so so what, you know. But I mean, he he's been in Memphis. The city loves him. The organization loves him. And he's there to to provide sort of a, you know, like a mentorship, you know, because he He's obviously out of the league. They had the jersey retirement ceremony for him, you know, in the season, this past season and whatnot. But he's there. I don't think it has to be somebody – because, I mean, obviously they're still a young team. They don't have really many old heads on the team yet. He would be – he'd be perfect for that role, in my opinion. Um, obviously, it'd be, and this is something I've always wanted to see happen once he retires, but I know he's playing back in Spain. But uh, maybe like Marcus Saul come back and do something like that because I know he loves the city. Very, uh, you know, played high school basketball, Lausanne, and all that. Um, but no, I mean, I'm I'm not worried about any of that happening. Honestly, I'm really not. I mean, I think they're going to be just fine. I mean, obviously, results wise, I mean, it might not be as scintillating as last season just because Jaron's going to be out for a few months, and it's going you're going to have to find ways to play around that, and integrate the new guys and stuff like that. But I mean. This season and in the long run, they're going to be just fine. Yep, I'm with you. I think that there's, I understand the concerns. You got a bunch of young dudes who are all making a lot of money. Some of them making, makes me cry at night kind of money, but they're going to be fine, in my opinion. I think they can handle it. I think they have the maturity. I think they have the drive to handle it more than anything. They want to win basketball games and get guys like Tayshawn Prince that are around. But I will say it's helpful to have smile in the locker room. I think that's a big reason Danny Green can be real helpful on this team. That's awesome. Luke just sent me a note as I said the words Danny Green. That's I love it. I love the links that we got going on. But to bring it back to what we're mainly talking about, we went on a bit of a tangent there. 
John Morant's attitude is why this team is what it is. Without John Morant's fire, without his just absolute ferocity in the game as one of us as an undersized guard, they are not what they are. So as far as the attitude goes, listen, sure, they're going to have those causes for concern, but nah, John Morant's going to do John Morant, and he's going to go and attack the game. One last thing before we move on to the next point. Yeah, I mean, with that, who knows if Desmond Bain becomes as vocal as he is now. Oh yeah, without without John Morant's added, without without that presence there, none of that I mean, happens. His first, yeah, his first year he's pretty stoic guy, didn't show a lot of emotion. Then his second year he was in the bronze face. I mean, like Dude, what? came out of nowhere, right? Yeah, it probably helped I mean, having old big big boss man ninety nine tweeting in all caps, coaching up those guys. <laughs> Josh rookie year, yeah, but true. no, that's, I'm with uh, you, man. Having those guys, it's you don't have that, right? You just don't have that without John Morant. So 100 percent one to keep that attitude think that we have enough maturity on the team to go ahead and move forward without it. But second knock on Ja, his defense. So you see all the time, Ja can't play defense. I see a lot of the player comparisons with Trey and Ja, which I don't understand. I like both players. I love the heel turn that Trey Young took in the playoffs a couple years ago. I I love them both. You don't have to constantly compare these guys and hate one or love the other. But Ja Morant's knock on defense is, I think, fair and that he's an undersized guard that's never going to be able to play just lockdown. He's never going to be a quiet learner. He doesn't have the physical tools to be a quiet learner, to be a Paul George, et cetera. But we have seen him show some flashes of defensive potential. You've seen him lock it in and be able to use what size he has and his athleticism in these games. He tries to take guys on on one, but a big thing is his offensive load for me here. You can't ask the dude to have the usage that he has on the offensive end of the court and then want him to lock it in defensively. You just can't. Now, come playoffs, sure, he can lock it in, but he's still not going to do it for a full 48, man, and you can't ask him to, right? I mean, on defense, what are your thoughts? I guess where do you land, in on fair or foul when it comes to Ja being knocked for his defense by critics, we'll say? I mean, I definitely think it's fair. I mean, obviously, we know he's not an elite defender. Um, but like you said, you don't need him to be an elite defender. I mean, even though I rag on him all, all the time, you know, to myself, like James Harden. When you can do, when you can, play, when you can score like James Harden, you don't need him to play defense. I mean, obviously, he gets ragged on by everybody, really, for not playing defense. But what you can do, what John Morant can do on the offensive side of the ball, you don't need to be an elite defender. Now, you mentioned Kawhi Leonard, the fact that he is an elite defender and he can do really good things offensively. That's what makes him one of the best players in the entire league, obviously. Um, but, yeah, you don't need him to you – know, he could be an average or even a little bit below average defender. Obviously, in the playoffs, you need to tighten up a little bit and, you know, and play some really serious defense. But, I mean, there's no need for him. There, you, you can't – I don't think it's fair to expect him to be – I'll give an example, like Grizzlies, like Mike Conley on, de- on, on defense. I don't think it's yeah. fair Well, and if you are a Grizz fan, you don't even want him to be trying to play lockdown defense. I mean, again, coming to playoffs, you want to see that intensity get picked up a little bit. But when a Grizz fan, he's already taken – his body's taken a lot on the offensive end. You don't want to see him having to put his body through that stuff on defense. He's not going to be able to be the offensive player you need to be. And then – even that translates with Kawhi Leonard. There's a very big style difference in that Ja is very much so – his game is very much so predicated on athleticism and explosiveness, whereas Kawhi is a much more methodical. He's got a really big body. He can, he's able to use 
I'm not saying he doesn't, this is not like a try type of effort. It's just more of a physical exertion, what you have to do to do your job type effort, just not the same player. Right. And so defensively, absolutely. The knocks on Jar fair. He is never going to be a great defender. He may never be a good or even an average defender, but he can pick it up when he needs to. And I'm not worried about any of that. Now I love for him to continue to improve, get some, a few tricks, some more, a few more tricks in his bag on the defensive end, but in general, I'm just not worried about it. The last one I want to talk about is one that I cannot even wrap my head around the fact people want to make this argument, which is that Ja is not a playmaker or a facilitator, that he is a score first point guard. I'm like, you must have just hopped on the bird app today and just started watching the NBA last week. If you think Ja Morant is not a facilitator. I mean, his first two years, the dude, he wasn't even a big scorer. I mean, let me pull up his stats real quick. But his points per game, first year, 17.8. So that's good. 19.1, good. This 28.7.4 is a massive jump. I mean, his first few years, he's averaging seven and a half assists, give or take. He's almost at seven assists this past season, even with the huge jump in scoring and field goals attempted. But the dude was known for his crazy passes, his dunks, his ability to just do these freaky passes and navigate to his teammates. and tra- It drives me insane. It drives me insane because the dude obviously is facilitating for his teammates. So I'm going to throw it to you because I'm about to start getting heated. I need to go ahead and shut up and get off my soapbox. Say what you need to say about people saying that about John Morant. Yeah, you, you brought the crazy passes. The one that sticks in my head from this past season, he's on the baseline uh, with the balls in his left hand. No look. I think it believes in no look. One hand passes to Desmond Bain in the other corner. Boom, three. I mean, the vision he has is incredible. We've known that since the get-go. He has great court vision. Um, but, I mean, th- <laughs> to say he's not a facilitator is crazy. I well, mean, People even- hate on anything, man. That was, I think, the yeah. last three minutes of a playoff game. Offhand, line drive pass to a guy to tie the game up. And I saw somebody tweet it out and go – that's pretty much an average pass. You see that in every NBA game. I'm like, bro. Okay. Yeah, sure. All right. All right. Yeah. We'll see it in every NBA. Okay. Yeah, sure. Do you even average 6.7 assists when you're scoring 27 points a game? That's still very impressive. That's insanely impressive. I mean, and no, I, I definitely think that one I am definitely on the side of. That's not fair. Man. Definitely not fair to job. Because, I mean, you got to think at first, in his first couple of years, he's a pass, he's a pass first guard, right? And by the way, he's throwing it to Steven Adams, who's been known to smoke a few layups. We love Steve-O. Big Kiwi fans here at the Grizz 901 pod. He also is known to smoke a layup or two. Jaron had one of his – had a down year offensively in a lot of ways. I mean, there's a lot of factors. Dylan Brooks wasn't there most of the season. There's a lot of reasons for him to have a dip in assists. By the way, it wasn't a huge dip, and he's still making freaky passes. 0.7, 0.7, 0.7 from the year previous. I mean, not even a full assist less a year. I mean, that's that's not that's really not that much. When you but it it doesn't it, it makes us laughable. It doesn't make sense because when you jump eight points a game from the the year before to this year and you drop 0.7, not even full assist. I mean, there's no there's no way you can hate. It. I mean, I guess there is a way you can hate on it, but th- it doesn't make sense. There's no rhyme or rhythm about that. So when no, you got- it's definitely go ahead. I was going to wrap us up with that by saying when you got guys, when you got national TV announcers saying that people are throwing up the joggles 
after they make a dime, guess what? He's known for his assists. So let's just put that to rest. It's a ridiculous statement. I don't want to give it any more time today. That's an absurd one. So we had one that was sort of fair with the attitude stuff, but really I'm not worried about it. I don't think anyone should be concerned about it. Can kind of brush that off. The defense one, fair. It's a fair knock on John. The defense isn't there, but still not a major area of concern. It's just one thing he could improve going forward. The playmaking one's ridiculous. That's it. We're done with that. There are steps for improvement for Ja. So that's going to be our last thing time about Ja before we move on to the next session of the podcast. We do have a new team member coming up, so be sure and stay tuned for that second part of the pod. But the steps for improvement before we get to that are few. We talked about a little before the podcast, just a few, but they could be important. And so I've got mine. It's going to be sort of stereotypical for me what I go to. So before that, I'm going to throw it to you. I think the big one can be his three-point percentage, and that's what you were talking about before the pod. So what do you think he needs to do with that three-point percentage? you think he needs to take a huge leap or just continue to kind of progress forward? Yeah, no, I don't think he has to take a huge leap. I mean, th- this past year saw his best uh, – and efficiency-wise, his best year shooting the three-ball in the league. Um, he is like 34.4% this past year, which isn't bad by any means. Um, obviously, he's not Steph Curry or anything, but we did see him make deep – long, long range threes this past year. Now, I'm not saying he needs to go and do that, pull up like Steph does, because there's never going to be another shooter like Steph, if we're being honest, just paying respect. Um, But, I I mean, 34%, if he can maybe get up to like 38, 39 without without, uh, taking a lot more volume, three like a lot more threes into this past year, I think it'll be fine. I mean – there's always ways to improve that. And if he comes out this next year and he shoots like 43% making six threes a game and still doing other stuff he does. Okay. We've gotten a first team all NBA basketball player in Memphis, to be honest with you, that'd be great. I don't see him doing that, but that'd be great. Um, but yeah, just, incre- you know, keep improving that efficiency from three. Um, I feel more confident when he shoots the ball from beyond the arc. Now I feel like, okay, he's got a, not as not, not Desmond Bain confident, and like no, but uh, more relaxed knowing that got, okay, there's a good chance he can make the shot. Um, but yeah, just think, keep improving that efficiency um, without taking away from what he knows he's supposed to be like, what he's good at, really good at. Yeah, and I think one of the things with John is three point shooting, and one thing that I think shows with his athleticism is when he trusts himself shooting a three. He's a lot better. And it's when it gets in his head is when he has issues. But I think that shows when he has these athletic like dribble pull-up shots at the end of a clock, at the end of a quarter, those long-range shots he takes when he's just, I'm just throwing this thing up. Those go in an inordinate amount, right? And it's just, hey, I'm just taking the shot. And so when John Moran doesn't think about it, I think he is a great three-point shooter. I, I think he is a great three-point shooter in those kind of shots. I mean, if you got someone that needs to take an off – off balance, one footed, three at the buzzer. I'm great with it being John Morant, but he does need to continue to improve that that set shot a little bit. I think if he gets up to 37, percent watch out, buddy. I think 37. percent That's all you need to get to for it to just be a, a nightmare for defenses. I mean, that would be a great number for him. Um, and I'm with you. If he continue to sort of crawl that up, that would be amazing. It'd be a great improvement and something that I know he's going to be working on this off season. Hopefully it shows when the season comes around. But my thing I actually want to see is in a mid-range improvement. Again, this is a stereotypical Nathan comment to make. I've talked about it with Desmond Bain. 
with Dylan Brooks. I'm surprised I didn't bring it up with Steven Adams. I might have, and I just don't remember doing it. I love the mid-range game. And I want, I think it's a super, super useful tool. And for a lot of different players, for a lot of different reasons, I think it should be emphasized more. With Josh specifically, his ability to penetrate the defense is nearly unparalleled in the league. I mean, the dude can just get into the defense, get into the teeth of the defense really whenever he wants, right? I mean, he has all kinds of dribble moves. He's so shifty. He's so quick. He's so explosive. The problem comes when he gets caught in between, right? He's sort of in that not quite in the floater range, but also he can't quite get to where he needs to hit a layup. And it's kind of that, uh, I'm not sure shot because man, that little Chris Paul free throw line mid-range jumper is there for him 12 times out of 10. I mean, he could go get it even when it doesn't look like it's there. It's insane how open he can get in that shot. So if he could get to where he just knocks down that shot, it's there. It's always there. There's He has zero plays where he cannot get to that shot, right? So if you get to be able to shoot that really, really efficiently, man, you shoot the three ball at a decent rate, let's just say 35%, more than doable for John Morant this coming season. 35% from three, you're still shooting 60-whatever percent at the rim, whatever it was, leading paint scorer at six foot two is pretty nuts. And then you're able to knock down a mid-range jumper at an efficient clip, at an efficient clip. English can be hard sometimes. Man, what can't you do? There's nothing a defense can do to stop you, right? And so, listen, that's why I like the mid-range for a lot of different players. I think for two players on this team, John Morant and Desmond Bain in particular, it opens up all kinds of possibilities, not just for them, but for the team as a whole, right? Because all of a sudden there's a shot Ja can get to that you can be a late in the clock emergency shot that's easy for him to get to. Then guys have to worry about guarding him. The pick and roll opens up more and the pick and pop opens up more. Just opens up so many possibilities. And so that's really what I want to see for Ja. I think the three-point percentage is going to continue to climb. He'll continue to facilitate and playmake because he never stopped facilitating and playmaking. The defense will continue to improve year by year. It's already going to suffice for you. The mid-range is the one that I don't think gets talked about a lot that I think can really open up his game. Is it probably going to develop this year? I don't know. I would say probably not. Would it be a really pleasant surprise if it did? Absolutely. But those are the main things. Other than that, listen, Jaw's going to continue to take steps forward. Bain's going to continue to do the same. Zaire, we got a bunch of fun rookies. We got a really fun year coming up. But any more thoughts before we close things out on Ja Morant in particular, Ian? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I can speak probably for all of Grizz Nation, but especially for myself, that I am very, very grateful that we've got John Rent on our basketball team and in our city, really, as well. Because obviously, the city he loves the city, and the city loves him. It's like a it's like Zebo all over again, you know. Um, we are living in uh basketball in the basketball world and you know in, in a crazy time for us you know i mean we never had this publicity before i mean i know the uh, uh schedules got released not too long ago we've got the most uh, it's the most national tv games ever for us right if i'm, uh, if I'm not mistaken most um, games in the league day. yeah we got a christmas day game i mean who would have thought three years ago the grizzlies well we'll say five years ago the grizzlies would be having a christmas day game right <laughs> When we had, when we were starting, like we started the most players in the, in, in, well, we had the most players play for us the entire league in one year. 
I mean, who would have thought about that? I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy to have someone on this in our team. I've never would have, I could never have dreamed this, honestly. And to have them surrounded by so many other quality players and to have them gel like they do and have them play together like they do. It's special, man. I mean, I'm, I really meant that, that this is a championship caliber team. And I think we'll see that in the next and very soon, next couple of years. Absolutely. And it all starts with 12. This is a 12 appreciation post. And the same thing, tying it back into what we talked about at the beginning, Ja Morant sets that standard, sets the culture. Ja embracing the community, getting involved with the city. Now you got Bane's backpacks every year. Bane's doing that. See, all these community events and guys getting involved, all that begins and ends with Ja Morant. And so 100% with you. Couldn't be more thankful for Ja Morant. Again, 12 appreciation pod. That might be our title. We might have come up with it right there. Somebody write it down for me because my ADD brain can't keep talking and do it. But super excited about John Morant and the future of this team. I'm with you. I, I gave them I give them two years before they enter, okay, their contender status. I think maybe this next season, not quite there yet, but I also was going to be happy with the six seed this past season. So here we go. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to stick with my run to the Western Conference Finals thing. I, I think I said that on the last pod. I think I'm going to stick to that, actually. So throw that that's common out the window. We're going to the West Finals. But, Ian, that's going to wrap us up for John Morant. I have rambled on far too long on far too many different things. Thank you for coming on and talking with us about this, man. And then tell us what you got coming out this week. I know we got an article dropping that ties into this pod this week. Tell us about it. Yeah, no, yeah. Again, thank you for having me. Obviously, I love being back on here with you guys. Uh, yeah, no, uh, this week, obviously, an article about Ja. I mean, like you said multiple times, this pod, um, there's nothing that can really be said for him that isn't new. I mean, you know what you're getting with Ja. You know who he is. You know how he plays. You know how flashy he is. You know how he talks. Um, but like you said, it's sometimes, well, we're new to this. Grizzlies Twitter is new to this. Uh, we don't know how to. We haven't had this experience before with a bona fide superstar. We haven't. I mean, so, I mean, sometimes you just got to sit back and be like, oh, my God, we actually have this guy on our team. And not just him. We're not in just like, oh, we have this really good player, but we don't have a really good supporting cast. We have a good team. So, yeah, no, it'll it'll be focused on Ja, and it'll also tie into, you know, how he's obviously, like we said, integrating into the city and, you know, how he's – it's reminiscent of Zebo and, you know, Tony Allen and, and, and those lots. So, yeah, no, I'm really excited for you guys to see it. And, uh, yeah, once again, Nate, thank you. Uh, I'll be back soon. Absolutely, brother. Be good. Don't get too crazy. But, absolutely, Ian's right. We are not used to this kind of success as Grizzlies fans, but we better get used to it because thanks to the likes of John Morant, Desmond Bain, and his Grizzlies front office – we are set up for quite an exciting future. And I think we'll have a lot of fun basketball for years to come. And that's going to tie into the next guy we're talking about. Cause the Grizzlies front office went and made one. Now it seems like a really quiet move, but what was a super important move to Grizzlies fans at the beginning of this offseason, which is sign signing Tyus Jones, Tyus Jones, a huge part of this team for the past few years going to continue to be a big part of the team for the next two years. And so joining us to talk about Tyus Jones today is another new member of the Grizzly team, the Grizz 901 squad, Mr. Luke Hatmaker. Luke, I'm going to start calling you Mr. Energy, man. What's going on? It's good to finally have you on. Yeah, brother. I'm happy to be here, man. Very excited to talk some Tyus, you know, talk some Grizz. Just very, very excited to be here. 
Yeah, he's not lying. He sent me his outline for the Tyus deep dive he's writing that'll be coming out not too long. And there are some notes on notes on notes in there. I'm not going to lie. I didn't read them all, but it's it's exciting, man. No, no, it's all good stuff. All good stuff. But Luke, excited to have you on, dude. And so we're going to be talking about Tyus Jones, like we were saying, and his, his recent signing to the team is probably the best place to start. And so Tyus Jones, just signed a two-year, $29 million, fully guaranteed, if I'm not mistaken, contract mm-hmm. average of $14.5 million a year to be the backup point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies for the next couple of years. And so super, super excited about it. And that was a price that was right around what I said I would be happy to pay. I think I said I'd go up to 16. They stayed around 14. I was going to be more than happy. But Chai's Jones has been a super solid, dependable point guard for Memphis and something that Grizzlies fans, one, have been thankful for, two, are going to be super thankful for moving forward. And so, Luke, you're the guy with all the notes, man. I want to hear you. I know you are 100% in agreement and fired up about this guy. So tell us a little bit more about Tyus and how solid he's been for, for this team and why that contract is going to be a value for the Grizzlies. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I look at, when I look at Tyus and his time with Memphis is his availability, like the time that he's been healthy and been able to play basketball. Um, he's been active for 85% of all possible games. If you take the bubble out of that, I forgot that he didn't go to the bubble. Take that out. He's at 89%. That's really good. <laughs> that, that's, that's like a really good amount of time to be available. And when you're our backup point guard, it's even more important that you're available that much. You know, well, and he's no, – go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say with Memphis especially, think about what happened in that bubble when Tyus wasn't available. It wasn't pretty. Even with John Morant there, when that bench unit came in, it was a sight – it was not a, a sight to behold, to say the least, right? I watched every every one of those bubble games, and it – there were t- it didn't feel like the same team sometimes because he was missing. And, and you, you can really see how important he is to them. Yeah, and it's been invaluable to the Grizzlies. But speaking of value, you threw out a couple of names before the podcast started. I want you to talk about because the value the Grizzlies had Tyus Jones for was insane. So Tyus was making, what, 8.8-ish million before that? He's making less than $9 million a year last year. Less than $9 million a year last year. Go ahead and throw out a couple of those names that were making more than Tyus Jones last season. All right. So some of these, what are some of the uh, Darren Fox made over $32 million last year. That's a lot of money. Uh, Kimball Walker made more than Tyus. Spencer Dinwiddie made more than Tyus. DeJounte Murray made more than Tyus. Reggie Jackson made more than Tyus. Monty Morris made more than Tyus. Devontae Graham made more than Tyus. Killian Hayes was close. If Killian Hayes made more than Tyus, I might have had to write him a check that I couldn't cash just to make up the rest of it because that's absurd. The French wonder, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Malcolm Brogdon making $22 million. I mean, D'Angelo Russell, I, guys well, who have nowhere near the consistency that our guys do does like just well, that's where I was going to land on that so a lot of those names when you hear them I think a lot of NBA fans will say well yeah it's Malcolm Brogdon well yeah it's De'Aaron Fox well yeah and 
here's the thing. Sure, De'Aaron Fox. I'm, I've been a big De'Aaron Fox fan. I've been a big Malcolm Brogdon fan. I've been a big yeah. fan of a lot of these guys. <laughs> Can't say I'm a big Killian Hayes fan. But <laughs> with the rest of these guys, man, it's one of those things where, yeah, that name makes a lot of sense. But would you rather have Tyus Jones or Kimball Walker out there with your guys? Would you rather have Tyus Jones or Malcolm Brogdon on your team or Reggie Jackson or Monty Morris or Killian Hayes? Right. It's the answer is consistently Tyus. And it's not because he's going to have the potential and the ceiling of these guys. Right. Their ceiling and their talent level. Yeah, sure. It's above Tyus. But guess what? Tyus is a winner. He's been a winner for forever. I mean, he's been a winner since high school. Right. Since high school. Since high school. He was number four ESPN top 100 coming out of the high school. People ahead of him. Jaleel Okafor was number one. Miles Turner, number two. Cliff Alexander, number three. Had to Google him. He played once. <laughs> he played one season with Portland, and then I think he played for uh, another affiliate, like a summer league team. And then he's out of the league. He's not even. In, he was out of the league after two seasons. Right. And out of that, Tyus is pretty much number two. I would say people will probably still say Miles Turner is better. I don't know if you'd say he even had a better career at this point though than Tyus Jones. Right. It's it's one of the things where you put Tyus Jones on a team and they win. They just win. They're better with Tyus Jones on the floor and. That's a big thing with Tyus is he is going to be a backup point guard for a Memphis team that needs to have someone solid because when you have your, your star player, the, your guy is John ja Morant, whose game is predicated. We just talked about it on explosiveness, athleticism, quick twitch, high flying type of game. A lot of things just can go wrong. You know, it's one of those things where I don't want John ja Morant to quit playing the way John ja Morant plays. There's also times where he takes off the floor and I get a little worried. Just how I mean, it is. That Atlanta Hawks game, man, mm-hmm. Nathan, I, I, I was one of the just – I was so despondent after that. I, I just was like, man, I, I was so excited for this season. I, 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 I thought our season was done. I just – I thought we were done. I was like, well, next year we'll be fine. Uh, BC will have another year under his belt. I was like trying to talk myself through it. And then we went 20 and 5. Like, Insanity. It's crazy. You don't do that. You lose your superstar and then you're in the lottery next year. That's what happens. You know, it's, we are very blessed with one that he's happy here and two that he knows his role. You know, he just fits. He knows he, he sees the entire puzzle and he's like, Oh yeah, that's where I go. And it's really refreshing to have a guy like that coming off the bench, leading that bench unit. Well, and his year after year, he's just Mm -hmm. solid all the time. And it's one of those things where, one, having Tyus Jones come in, I don't think there's any question. Tyus Jones coming out that second unit and being able to lead that team as a starter after Jaw was out, there's no way they go 25 without Tyus Jones, right? There's absolutely no way. But two, having him come off that second unit is so invaluable because a lot of games are won with the guys that aren't the guys, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw it in the Warrior series. Who killed us? It wasn't Steph. It wasn't Clay other than one game. It wasn't Draymond. It was Kayvon. Otto Porter Jr. and Kayvon, and Kayvon Looney. Looney. God, Kayvon Looney. The, the, the two guys that were could not have been further from the guys on that team were the I X think, factors that just crushed us, crushed us. I think us Lo- Lo- Looney just got another rebound just now against us. I don't he know actually got saw. four God. since this podcast started. God, <laughs> like, 
It's yeah. unbelievable, right? And so having those guys come in makes a huge difference. And I know you play your starters when you get to the playoffs. When it gets to winning time, which is what the Grizzlies are going to be focused on moving forward, it's your guys. But guess what? A lot of times those guys that are in your second unit unit are your guys. And Ty Jones is that six-man for the Grizzlies that doesn't put up the six-man type of numbers. He's that six-man because he makes everyone on the floor better all the time. Does put up six man numbers. He puts up six man numbers except offense, except his points. You know, like, like you, you put his last year, Tyler Hero. He's got a better field goal percentage than Tyler Hero. He had more assists per game and right around the same rebounds. Tyler Hero had more points than him, but Tyler Hero did 21. He had 15. Year before that, higher percentage than Jordan Clarkson, who won more assists, five, five less points. Before that, Lou Williams. Wow, Lou Williams shot the hell out of the ball that year. <laughs> Lou Williams had almost a 60% field goal percentage. <laughs> well, that's Lou Williams. No, that's, that's not Lou Will. That's Montrez Harrell. Oh, I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I knew Lou Will was impressive, but I was like, God. that can't be right. I, I, I don't have much not have my contacts there. But, but Kyes comes in and makes the team better every time. Always, right? And I think that's. One of the weird things is for a lot of these deep dives, we talk a lot about the numbers, right? But this podcast in particular, we're talking about the two guys that are leaders on this team. And a lot of it's through intangibles. And we have numbers, right? Like Tyus Jones assists 4.4, but led the league once again by I think like almost two full assists and assist to turnover ratio. Three-point percentage, or was it 39%? Super solid. Had a effective field goal percentage, 52%. There's all kinds of numbers of why Tyus Jones is good and has been great for this team. But same thing with him and John Morant. It's about the intangibles. It's about having that floor general that is out there leading the team, keeping things together, and just making the ball pop. And that's what those two guys do, and it's what Tyus Jones does in a way that's different from Ja. And I think that's why they succeeded so well on the floor together this past season is because Ja, for the first time in his career, again, coming back to how he was such a playmaker in his first two years, he mm-hmm. went score first for the first time in his career. And now all of a sudden you have a pass first, pure facilitator point guard and Tyus Jones. The best. <laughs> the best. Literally the best. <laughs> the best. <laughs> right? In the league. And you have this come out and all of a sudden you're able to function really, really well together in that. But – in addition to that, we talk about ties being solid and dependable. Man, if you're going to throw the ball to somebody in the last minute of a game and you need them to make a big shot, are you afraid if it's Tyus Jones taking the shot? Because I'm not. No, no. He's got the best shot after Bane, the prettiest shot, I, I would say. Mr. Consistency, too. Yes, yes. I mean, look, the fact that he's led the league for four years in a row, four, not one, not two, not three, but four straight years, since before he was a Grizzly, he was, he was in Minnesota then. He has led the league in assisted turnover ratio. And not just led the league, like led the league each year, but led by more than one assist. It's, it's like he is averaging at least one assist. The, how math works, I'm not a doctor. He is averaging at least one more than all the other guys. That's, that's insane. I don't know why I keep expecting him to not. You know, it's like I just keep expecting something to ha- different to happen, and it doesn't happen, and that's the definition of insanity. <laughs> like it's it's nuts. It's it's nuts, and it's just invaluable for this team. And I think that's yes. what it brings back to again with Grizzlies fans. This is I don't know if I saw a single negative comment out there about the re-signing of Tyus Jones, especially at fourteen and a half million dollars. No. The man just makes a huge difference for this team, both 
off the bench and when he has to fill in for a start. And he gives you, one, that safety blanket for John Morant in case something happens. But two, he gives you a guy that you, you're excited when Tyus Jones is on the floor because of what he's going to be able to do, especially with the talent around him. And that's one of the biggest things. It's hard to talk about the value of Tyus Jones without talking about the moves the Grizzlies have made around him, which is bringing a lot of young, talented players. But so you've mm-hmm. got Brandon Clark, who is – I mean, he's got to be like almost 25 now. He was old when he came into the league. But yeah, he, he did four years with Gonzaga, right? Pseudo yeah. vet on the team. But then you've got Zaire Williams, David Roddy, Jake Laravia. They, they know each other. Yep. They're from Minnesota. They're both yep. in the Twin Cities Pro Am. Yep. So you've got these things going on where you got these young players coming in. Well, how are you going to make them comfortable? You give them Tyus Jones to come in and facilitate the offense, right? And so John, that's, I think, what I want to talk about now is just moving forward as he's just signed that two-year contract We've got two more years of Tyus Jones what do you think his role is moving forward with the team do you think it changes at all do you think it's minimized by any amount or do you think it is now magnified with some of the talent they brought in the one reason I love his contract so much is because it it's still it's a win-win on both sides you know we get two years of this window where we have the best to do it, leading this bench unit, teaching these guys, teaching maybe his eventual replacement, Kennedy Chandler, you know, just how to do it. You know, I, I, I know Kennedy, I love Kennedy Chandler. I like, I love watching him play him in the SEC tournament was some of the most, just some of the best ball I've seen in a long time. And, but he's a project, you know, he's still got, he's still got to develop his game. And he still has to – that consistency that Tyus has, that's that's something that – that's going to be difficult. But Tyus has two years. And you know what? If it's – if Kennedy isn't where we want him after those two years, Tyus is still in his prime, and we still give him a chance to sign a better contract if we want to. Yep, and that's the biggest thing is the next two years – He's going to just be solid for teams that are young and looking to learn, but also looking to compete right away. They're yes. looking to win right away. There's no no better point guard to be able to help these young guys fit into their ideal roles as they try and do that in a win-now mode. So that's going to be huge. Two, exactly what you're saying about the point guard position, it gives you the chance to look at Kennedy Chandler, just like you were saying. But also, there's nothing guaranteed with that, right? Like It's easy no. for me to see the path to Kennedy Chandler being the future backup point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies. It's also easy for me to see it not panning out. It could fall a lot of different ways. You do have that option with Tyus. That being said, I do think Tyus is going to be on the Grizzlies for two more years. And that's going to be that he's just so good. He's so good. There'll be somebody in the league where it makes sense. You're going to have money coming off the books for different teams and you're going to have the ability to go and start. I think he's probably gone. That being said, half the league, he could start for half the league if he wanted to. He absolutely could. There's a lot of teams that he would make a lot of sense on right now. They just can't really make the money work, to be honest. I mean, I hate it, but he'd make sense in Minnesota. Yep. He'd make sense in Boston. I was worried you were going to lose him to Boston, and I would have been furious. Yep. And and it would not have surprised me. He made a lot of sense there. But um, just like they have Marcus Smart, we've got Tyus Jones now, and he's a big part to our team. Plays a different role than Marcus Smart, but a big part to this team. And listen, I think he came back to Memphis for two years. Cause I think in one year that opportunity is going to be there to be a starter. Yeah. I think he came back for two years because one, I think it'll 
optimize his ability to be able to go and make more money on that offseason to go and sign for something better in two years. Two, I think he probably loves being on this team. It's These guys love being around each other. They love playing together. That always plays a part, and it makes it easier to say yes to the money. Yeah. Number three, there is a solid chance this team can win a championship, and how much is that going to help his money if that happens too, right? Yeah. One, you get to win a championship. That is what you play for, right? Personally, I would love to play for millions and millions of dollars, but also you're out there to play to win a championship. Two, that's going to help your case when you go and try and get any money in free agency, right? Yes. And so, listen, I... That's going to help you if you get hurt. And like, like, you know, like use Danny Green for an example. He's coming off an injury. The fact that he has a ring already, has rings, you know, it just makes me feel better. I'm like, oh, it's fine. He's got rings. It's no big deal. Knows how it's done. No, yeah, Knows exactly. how it's done, right? And that's, I think that's, I mean, we happen to just fall into that phrase, but that's really can sum up everything about Tyus. The man yep. knows how it's done. He knows how to consistently show up to work, how to get his job done, and he knows how to lead that team while he was on the floor. And so, super, super if I was, excited. If I was coaching basketball, he's the player, he's the ideal player that you want to coach. Oh, yeah, right? Because he just does everything right, does everything yes. the right way. And he's win. He's a winner. He's yes. won everywhere he's been, right? The off one could be Minnesota. Again, that's Minnesota. They're about to have Rudy Gobert, Constantine Towns, and Anthony Edwards still find a way to lose. So oh, yeah. I had to make sure I got my Minnesota slander in, but you know <laughs> me, I'm, I'm a big, I'm going to throw this out there for Grizzlies fans. I've mentioned this a couple of times now in two years, when Tyus Jones is a free agent, who else is a free agent? Mike Conley. Just going to say, I, I would love to have that reunion and have Mike Conley be back in Memphis oh. as the backup to John Morant. Age wise, it might work out time wise. It'll work out either way. The point is Tyus Jones in the here and now, couldn't be happier about him being on the team moving forward. And so for a lot of these different guys, what we've sort of done at the end is talked about areas for improvement. I'm going to be honest with you with Tyus Jones. I don't have much of anything as far as areas of improvement go. He's really consistent with his floaters. He always makes the right play. He's led the league for what, four years now in a row in the system turnover ratio. There's not much you could ask for. I mean, he could people continue. are in the league for four years, and he, he's, <laughs> he's still just four. crushing it, dude. Yeah. It's truly nuts. I mean, I guess if I could say anything, it's the same thing as for everybody on this team, which continue to improve that three-point percentage. But, I mean, he shot 39% from three this past season. It's like – I just want to see him get, like, eight inches taller, and I'd be happy. You know, yeah, all right. Eight inches it. taller. Eight inches yeah. taller. Somebody else had already signed him. There's, there's no way. So, <laughs> yes. he can stay where he is on that. But, no, listen, I think – just keep doing what he's doing. If you can continue to improve the jump shot, that's never going to hurt. So I guess keep working on that. But the whole reason that works out about Tyus Jones is for the point of why we can't come up with anything, which is he's just consistently great at what he does. He constantly does his job. That's all we need him to do. Keep doing that. Teach these young guys, improve the second unit. But do you have anything outside of three-point shot and consistency you think he can work on? Again, growing a few inches. <laughs> I mean, and I, I know, I know. Isn't there like a study that says you gain eight inches when you hit like twenty-eight or something? Did I make that up? I made that up. Yeah, I shrunk, I, I shrunk a few inches just... when I hit twenty-eight. What? Chronic back pain. It's all good. We're still oh, here. Yeah. We're still on the pod. 
Yeah, I could ask him to stay healthier, but he doesn't miss games. Yeah, right? Hey, what does he say, 89%, 89% outside of the bubble? I mean, Mr. Consistency, listen, this podcast, we've done a lot of deep dives. We've got the articles coming out, but this is a point card appreciation podcast. That's that's what this has turned into. we got yep. John Morant, most exciting young player in the league. We've got Tyus Jones, the most consistent player in the league, and you got them both on the same team running these units there's not much more to, to ask for. So Grizz fans, we are, we are lucky. We're, we're lucky to be able to have this. And we, I mean, we went from looking for anybody that could play point guard for us to having the best possible outcome as your point guard. It's incredible. Yeah. And I think the only thing you can talk about with Tyus Jones, honestly, if you're looking at any kind of change is what kind of downgrade do you make in the future? But that's going to be yeah. a time for another podcast two years down the road, hopefully after we've got a little bit of a jewelry to the name of the Memphis Grizzlies. So just just one or two. Yeah. Outside of that, listen, Tyus Jones, again, we just said this for John Morant, but we appreciate you. We we appreciate what you've done for this team. We could not Thank be you, happier. Stones. Could not be happier that Stones is going to be back in the 901 and Bill Street Blue again. Hopefully they find a way to make those city editions the classic blues now, the away blues, but it's okay. We'll leave that campaign for another day as well. <laughs> Tyus Jones, super excited to have him. Point Guard Appreciation Podcast. Luke, you came here for the most weird <laughs> deep dive podcast yet where we didn't really dig into a bunch of tangible stuff, but a lot of fun stuff, a lot of stuff to be excited about. So, man, thank you for thank you for coming on the pod. I know you got that stuff coming up. So anything you want to throw out to the audience about what's coming up with that deep dive, or are you just happy to be here? I'm just happy to be here, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but we're happy you're here, man. We're happy you're here again. Luke is going to be with us doing – some podcasting, as you can see here, he's going to be doing, <clears throat> excuse me, some writing as well for Grizzlead. And speaking of Grizzlead, we are going to be having Ian Sparks article again coming out later this week, probably today or, or sorry, tomorrow or Wednesday. Be listening to this podcast on Monday and be looking for that. It's going to be some really good stuff. Check out what Chris just wrote. He just wrote a Jaron Jackson Jr. one. We've got Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, Stephen Adams, and we're going to have a whole lot more coming with Luke, we just had Jesse, got a few more guys coming, and we got a great team heading this next season. Couldn't be more excited, especially because we got the likes of Ja Morant and Tyus Jones leading the team. So, once again, thank you guys for listening. Could not be more thankful for y'all getting on here, listening to us, engaging with us on social media. If you have any questions, anything you want to see us write or talk about, please throw it to us at grizz underscore lead. You can find us all on the bird app. Again, Luke Hatmaker, Ian Sparks, and Nathan Qualls. I'm the only one that's hard to find at Mem Grizz Homer, but even that's pretty easy to find at this point. So enjoy the rest of your week. Look out for that article. And until next time, be nice. Tell your friends.